0: All right. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. If you want to head back to your seat, grab your Bible and open up your Bible to Mark 7. Looking at Mark 7, verses 31 to 37. Mark 7, verses 31 to 37. If you're a guest with us, welcome, glad you're here. I don't know if I said my name, I'm Garrison, one of the pastors here at Veritas. Um, if you would, if you're a guest with us, take a moment, fill out a, a connect card, you can find those in the shelf of the pew in front of you, it just lets us know how to get in contact with you, know a little bit about you, how we can be praying for you, and then you can drop that in, in the wooden box in uh, that is on the, gold, the table with the golden tablecloth uh, that's There, just as you walk in and out of the the sanctuary, there. And uh, we'll make sure that gets into the right hands. And we'd love to get to know you, know how we can be praying for you. Let's take a moment and pray together before we open God's Word. Lord Jesus. Empower me, help me to preach a faithful and helpful sermon. We pray that you would empower your people, filled by your spirit, to be fed by it. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Well, you may or may not know it, but an amazing thing is about to happen. In fact, That's probably putting it lightly. One of the most amazing things that could ever happen is about to happen. In fact, listen to how Moses describes what is about to happen in Deuteronomy 4.32. He says, ask now of the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. In other words, ask whether something this amazing has ever happened all across the world from the beginning of the world till today. The implication being nothing this amazing has ever happened. And you go, well, what on earth is it? What's so amazing? Listen to this. Here's what Moses says. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? You Want to know what's so amazing? God has spoken to his people. And what is about to happen right now is that we are going to hear him. These words that I'm about to read to you are the very words of God. So let's stand together. Let's listen with reverence and joy to the word of our God. and mark 7:31 to 37 Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hand on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue and looked to heaven and looking up to heaven he sighed and said to him ephatha that is be opened and his ears were opened his tongue was released and he spoke plainly And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, last week we left off with... Jesus in the Gentile region of Tyre and Sidon. And there he was approached by a Gentile Syrophoenician woman with a daughter under demonic oppression. And Jesus delivered this young girl and answered this woman's prayer. And here this morning we find Jesus exiting that region, heading over to a largely Gentile region, the region of the Decapolis, this is another largely Gentile region. The Decapolis was a region of, of ten cities. Deca, this is a Greek word for ten, and then polis, the Greek word for city. And if Tyre and Sidon was, was um, trying to do it backwards, northwest of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee, then Jesus has come down and then gone east of Galilee and of the Sea of Galilee, maybe even southeast a little bit. And if you're on your game, you realize that we've been here before. We've been to the Decapolis in our series in Mark's Gospel so far. Jesus and his disciples came to the Decapolis back in Mark 5, and there Jesus was met by a man who was indwelled by a legion of demons. And Jesus cast those demons out of the man and delivered him from the chains of spiritual darkness and oppression, and he set him free into his right mind. And then Jesus sent him to go tell his families and friends and neighbors all about what the Lord had done for him. And that story concluded with Mark saying, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Well, now Jesus is back in the Decapolis. And apparently this man has been busy. Because when people hear of Jesus' arrival, a crowd comes out to see him. And not only do they come out to see him, but verse 32 says that they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So this man is deaf. He can't hear anything. And his deafness is so severe that it's even affecting his ability to speak. And so they thought... When they heard that Jesus had come to town, if if Jesus was able to deliver the demoniac, well, maybe, perhaps he can heal this man too. So let's bring him to Jesus. Now, when they bring him to Jesus, Jesus takes him aside from the crowd, away from all the the commotion and ruckus. and, And it says that Jesus put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephatha, that is, "Be opened." Now, those seem to be some rather peculiar actions to us, don't they? I mean, in just the previous passage, Jesus merely gave a word that someone's daughter would be delivered, and she was. And yet here he's, he's sticking his fingers in a man's ears and, and spitting and touching his tongue. What's with all this? Well, you've got to think about this from the perspective of this man. He can't hear anything. He's incapable of verbal communication. So here, Jesus is is speaking to this man in a language he can understand. He's he's using sign language, so to speak. Sinclair Ferguson explains, he says, the, The fingers placed in the ears and then removed meant, I'm going to remove the blockage from your hearing. The spitting and touching of the man's tongue meant, I'm going to remove the blockage in your mouth. The glance up to heaven meant, it is God alone was able to do this for you see how Jesus here is accommodating this man he's he's hold, he's taking him by the hand as it were and walking with or through with him what is about to happen in a way that the man can understand and then he sighed what an odd detail for mark to add why would mark include that well this verse is it's cited in bb warfield's wonderful essay the Emotional Life of Our Lord, which I recommend you're reading. You can find a free PDF of it online, I'm sure. And, and Warfield cites this sighing of Jesus because it shows that he, he looked upon this man with compassion. He saw the, the ravages of sin on this post-Genesis 3 world and, and, and the ravages of sin on this man. And it broke his heart and it moved him with pity and compassion. This man's suffering and all our suffering weighed heavily on his heart. But his compassion didn't remain in his heart alone. It moved him to action. And so he spoke the first word this man has ever heard in his life, Ephatha. Ephatha. It's an Aramaic word. I know it's P-H-P-H. Just think of it as if it's like two Fs together and pronounce it as such. Ephatha. Mark tells us what it means. It means be opened. And at this word, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. This is amazing. This is so amazing that undoubtedly anyone who was present would want to shout it from the rooftops, wouldn't they? This should be the talk of the town. This word of this should spread everywhere, and yet that doesn't seem to be Jesus' intention. Verse 36 tells us that Jesus charged them to tell no one. Now, there are differing theories regarding why Jesus didn't want them to tell anyone what had happened. Perhaps it's because he went to the Decapolis to try to hide out from the crowds and the Pharisees and and Herod, and this will kind of launch him back into the public eye all the more. perhaps it's because he, he doesn't want people to get the wrong idea about him, that he's simply a miracle worker or one of the magicians that would have been common in the, in the Decapolis there and, and not that he's the Messiah who's come to redeem the world. And maybe it's because his, his primary purpose in ministry at this point is to preach and teach, not heal and do miracles. And this might cause people to come to him all the more for miracles, perhaps even at the expense of hearing him preach and teach the word of God. You could find support for each of these, these reasons, these arguments in Mark's gospel. Perhaps one of them is right. Perhaps it's in a combination of all uh, or, or, or more than one reason. But they don't listen. Verse 36 goes on The more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And maybe I shouldn't say this. I don't know. I'd say if there was ever an example of disobedience that was understandable, this would be it, wouldn't it? Jesus is is telling them to be quiet, but they can't help themselves. They're so amazed they've got to proclaim what they've heard. And so verse 37, they were astonished beyond all measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Have you ever been so amazed and overwhelmed with awe at the glory of God that you just can't help but worship? This past Sunday I was up in, in Springfield. Meaning you know, a man who's, who's new to the church, and, and as I was driving home, I, I was coming down Route 4, and I saw the most beautiful sunset. I saw all the, the, the pink and purple swirling clouds with the undertones of gray, and it was all spread out across the sky like a work of art. And I just thought, oh my, if God would create something so beautiful, how beautiful must he be? And I was, I was listening to a, a lecture on John Bunyan, as you do. And <laughs> I turned it off. And I started singing for the beauty of the earth and the doxology. And I was enthralled with the glorious beauty and splendor of our God, unable to keep it within. That's what these people experienced. I said, he has done all things well. Well. Perhaps even more literally, we might translate that, he has made all things well. Does that sound familiar to you? It sounds familiar to me. That's a clear echo of Genesis 1, when, when God would create and say, let there be light, and then there would be light, and he would step back and see, it is good. And you would go on the next day and create, and then he'd step back and say, it is good. And you go on and create the next day and step back and say, it is good. And then, Genesis 1 concludes on the sixth day with him stepping back and seeing that it is all very good because he makes all things well. In the beginning, God spoke to nothingness and told it to become something and it did and it was beautiful and good. Well, likewise, Christ here and his creative power spoke to deafness and it heard him. He spoke to muteness and it, responded and spoke in return. And it was good because he makes all things well. Praise his name. And likewise, they echo another text. It said he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And there we find echoed the the very words that we read earlier in Isaiah 35, where Isaiah foretells the coming of God and his kingdom and his saving reign to the earth. And and interestingly, in our text, earlier in our text in Mark 7.32, when he says that this man had a speech impediment, he uses an incredibly rare word. It's only used one place in the New Testament, and it's here. And it's also used in one place in the Old Testament, you might say, well, I thought the Old Testament was in Hebrew, and it was, but there's also a Greek translation of it called the Septuagint. And Mark and you know, the other writers of the New Testament would have been very familiar with it and read it often. They quoted it often in the New Testament. And Mark seems to do that here with Isaiah 35. When Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 35 of the days when Christ arrives to save his people, he says, verse 4, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and with the recompense of God, He will come and save you. And when that day comes, when God arrives to save His people, verses five and six. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute. That's the word. That's the word. That's the rare word that Mark uses in our text. The mute will sing for joy. Well, that's what happens here. Mark picks this up in the praises of this people. And he shows us that this day has come. The kingdom has arrived. God has come to save his people, to right all wrongs, to reverse the curse that lays upon the creation and upon us since Genesis 3. God has come to save his people. That's the story. But Then what does it reveal to us? What is this story revealing to us? And there are two truths that, that I want to bring your attention that are revealed to us in this story here. First, Christ came to give us healing. Christ came to give us healing. I don't mean that We can simply pray for healing or declare healing over someone on this side of glory and that they will automatically be healed. Please don't misunderstand me. But as we just saw eyes and ears being opened, the lame leaping like Simone Biles, the mute singing for joy, these are signs of the arrival of the Messiah and the saving reign of God. God has come to his people to remake us, to bring the new creation, to undo the curse of sin in this world, to make the created order into what it was meant to be, and to make people, us, his people, into what we were meant to be. And these healings that we see here and that we've been seeing in Mark all along are signs of this reality. A theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, It's not a theologian I'd recommend reading, But a broken clock is still right twice a day, is it not? Well, Moltmann once wrote something so insightful about the miracles in the earthly ministry of Jesus. He said, when Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction, and he is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God to which... All the healings witness restores creation to health. Jesus's healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world; they are the only natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. You see what Moltman is getting at. Christ has come to to recreate creation, so to speak, in order to make it, it what it was ought to be. He's come to heal. He's come, it, it, that's what he's showing us when he cleanses the leper and delivers the demoniac and raises the dead and lifts the lame. That's what he shows us in his making the deaf hear and the blind see and the mute speak. In these healings, he is giving us a a foretaste of the coming glory in the new creation. In these healings, he is showing us Uh, That the day in which the kingdom comes in full, there will be no more broken bodies. There will be no more blind eyes. There will be no more mute tongues. There will be no more deaf ears. He's giving us a preview of the coming attraction. Of course, we see this most keenly and clearly in the greatest of all miracles in the history of redemption, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ came to live the the perfect life that we should have lived and he died a sinner's death in our place and thus overcame sin and its curse upon us. And now that sin and its curse are dealt with on the third day, he unleashes the power of the new creation upon this broken world. As Michael Reeves puts it, that old tomb outside of Jerusalem was the womb of the new creation It is the dawning of all things being made new, of all sad things coming untrue. It was the beginning of of a new heavens and a new earth. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, it was the first fruit of the resurrection of our bodies. In the Apostles' Creed, we not only confess the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we confess the resurrection of our own body. It's that resurrection that John tells us of in 1 John 3, 2. It says, when we see Christ, we will be made like him. It's that resurrection of the body that Paul is telling us about in Philippians three twenty one. that on that day, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his own glorious body, his own glorious body, which is indestructible, immortal, whole, unbroken. And these miracles are a preview of that coming attraction. This is good news for us. Several of you have requested the elders to come and anoint you with oil and pray for healing recently. We've sat with some of you through dark times, losses of loved ones, miscarriages, bad diagnoses. Some of you are sick. Some of you experience pain in your bodies on a daily basis, some of you experience just such sadness because your, your body is not as you know it was meant to be. Some of you are getting older and you awake some days with new aches, new, new pains, omens of death, which is coming. It's coming for us all at, at some point, of course. Thanks be to God, your, your pain, your bodily brokenness, your aches, your aging, lame legs, deaf ears, blind eyes, mute mouths, death and decay, none of these have the last word. Christ and his resurrection power and his new creation kingdom has the last word for his people. So Romans 8.18 says, The sufferings of this present time are not even worthy of being compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We will be healed. We will be whole. Because Christ has come to give us healing. What a comforting thought. I should not even say it's a thought. It's God's promise. It's a guarantee for his people. One day, in glory, complete healing and wholeness will be ours. Next, Christ came to give us hearing. He came to give us hearing. Friends, we have to be alert to what Mark is trying to show us here. We've seen a number of miracle stories, deliverance stories, healing stories so far. And and one of the lessons that we've learned from Mark's gospel is that the precise stories being told are all kind of fitting within this narrative structure. They truly happened. But Mark is intentional about what he records and how he records these stories so that they fit within these, these themes and these certain structures showing us something of, of Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do. And so right away when we see a deaf man brought to Jesus for healing, some things ought to come to mind for us. It can be, it can be hard you know, when you explore a text over a long period of time instead of just sitting down and reading it all in one sitting. But I would just remind you that up to this point, hearing and deafness has been an important theme in the ministry of Jesus as it's recorded in Mark's gospel. In Mark 4, Jesus told several parables about the importance of hearing his word and gospel. In Mark 4, 9 and four twenty three, he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And of course, that wasn't a literal hearing that he spoke of. He wasn't saying, anyone who has these physical organs that we call ears, let these sound waves coming out of my mouth, enter into those organs and reverberate so that you can remain unaffected by what is heard. Note, there's a deeper spiritual kind of hearing that he was exhorting people to, and he not only wanted to have sound waves reverberating in their ears, he wanted them to understand, to grasp, to grab hold of what he was saying by faith. He was calling them to spiritually hear him. And yet with this theme of hearing in in that sense, we've seen Jesus' own disciples not hearing him so far, haven't we? Mark 4.13, 4.30, 6.52, 7.18. They're continually within earshot of Jesus, but they're not truly hearing him. They're not truly understanding him. They're not grasping his word and teaching. And it's remarkable, this very story kicks off a series of stories in which Jesus is going to confront and change his disciples' ability to hear him. What we'll come to see in Mark 8.14-21 is that there, the disciples are worrying about bread and how they don't have any while they're on one of their traveling trips. And, and, and we'll get there and we'll explain more in the coming weeks. But just know that for now, they're, they're misunderstanding and not truly hearing Jesus once again. And listen to what he says to them. He says, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? You understand? Do you see? The disciples are deaf to Jesus, it seems. Not not physically, but spiritually. The sound is going into their ears, but their hearts are so hard and minds are so blinded that, they, that they, they don't understand. They can't perceive Jesus. They can't perceive who He is and what He's come to do. And this, this, this hardness of heart being spoken of as, as being deaf and, and hard of hearing is not a new theme in the Scriptures as a whole. In fact, it's, it's a, a very common theme that you can trace throughout the narrative of Scripture. And Mark is so obviously picking up on this Old Testament theme here that we ought to be aware of. And I'd love to just explore all of the Old Testament texts that relate to this, but, but that would take too long. So we'll look at one, and I think it's a particularly relevant one. Look at Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29 has actually already been quoted in Mark 7. In verse 6, there Jesus quoted Isaiah 29, 13 said of the Pharisees, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That was said of the Pharisees, but you can obviously see that this is true of the disciples as well. They're not understanding, they're not grasping, their hearts are hardened. It seems that the trouble in Isaiah's day was that he, as he preached the word of God to the people, they were hard-hearted, they couldn't hear him it seems, they were deaf and blind to the word of God. And Jesus is saying the same is true of, of some in his day. And yet, in Isaiah 29, God gives a promise in verses 17 and 18. And here's what that promise is. Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? That's a promise that God's blessing and kingdom will come and will come to the Gentiles when the Messiah comes? And don't miss that it's a Gentile people that Jesus is among right now. And Isaiah prophesies saying, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Their hard hearts, he says, will be softened, and their spiritual ears will be open to the word of God. Their spiritual eyes will be open to see His goodness and glory. Do you, do you, you see? It's no coincidence that Mark quotes Isaiah twenty-nine, thirteen, and then immediately following tells the story of Christ opening the ears of the deaf in Mark seven. Not only that, but the section of text that we're entering into also tells the story of Jesus opening the eyes of a blind man in Mark 8, 22 through 26. He's saying the days in which Isaiah 29, 17, and 18 are being fulfilled are here. The kingdom has come, the Christ has come, and he's opening the, opening the, spiritual, the ears of the spiritually deaf and misunderstanding so that they might truly hear the word of God. Friends, we all need this ear-opening work of Jesus in our lives. Apart from him opening our ears, we are all, all of us, deaf and dumb to God. First Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In our natural state, Apart from the Holy Spirit opening our ears and the work of Christ opening our ears, we cannot hear, we cannot understand, we cannot grasp the truth of God's word, the truth of his gospel, the truth of the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. In our natural state, we're all like uh, Uncle Andrew and C.S. Lewis is the magician's nephew. Have you read that book? It tells a story of the beginning of the creation of Narnia by Aslan, the lion, this sort of Christ figure in the story. And it shows that in the beginning, Aslan created Narnia by, by singing it into existence, and there to witness it were Diggory and Polly, there's the cabbie and his horse, Strawberry, and there was Jadis, the the witch, and there was Uncle Andrew. But Uncle Andrew, from the start, he would not listen to the song and words of Aslan. Lewis Wright sang, and when the lion had first begun singing long ago, when it was still quite dark, Uncle Andrew disliked the song very much. And then when the sun rose and he saw that the singer was a lion, he tried his hardest to make believe that it wasn't singing, and never been singing, only roaring as any lion might do in his zoo in our own world. And the longer and more beautiful the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. He soon did hear nothing but roaring. Soon, he could not have heard anything else, even if he had wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words, he only heard a snarl. He was deaf to the the song and words of Aslan. He could not have heard them, even if he had wanted to. And so are we the same in our natural state. In our natural state, the truth of the Word of God is just noise to us. Thanks be to Christ when it comes to his own. He does not stand back aloof from our deafness and blindness, but he has compassion and he looks upon his own and he sighs and he feels for us deep within his heart and he says to us from his throne of grace, Ephatha, be opened. He comes to us in our total deafness, our total inability, and he opens our ears. This passage is teaching what theologians referred to as the effectual call. I looked at the effectual call this time about, about this time last year. and the effectual call is when the, the sovereign Christ from his throne of grace opens up our ears to truly hear him, to truly grasp and believe his gospel, to believe it, to obey it, to be saved by it. and without this effectual call without Christ taking his word and opening our ears by, to, to hear him by the power of his spirit. We are all deaf and we remain deaf. Perhaps you're here this morning and all of this just sounds like noise to you. You, you might hear what I'm saying. You might hear what Mark's gospel is saying, but you don't care. You don't understand. You don't grasp But it. it doesn't make a difference in your life. You're completely numb to it. When I tell you that Christ shed his blood and was crucified and killed on a cross for our sin so that we might be redeemed and forgiven and set free. And when I tell you, he rose on the third day, triumphing over sin and death and all that ails us, and that he will one day return from his ascended state to judge the living and the dead, and that you must repent and trust him to receive the forgiveness of sins. When I tell you that, you're just kind of shrugging it off as insignificant, as irrelevant, as untrue maybe. Well, that's because you're deaf. You must cry out to God to, to Christ, for ears to hear, for a soft heart that understands, for a heart that truly believes He can do it. He is mighty to open ears. Perhaps Christian, you have someone like that in your life. A child, a parent, a sibling, a spouse, a neighbor, a coworker with whom you have spoken about the gospel, with whom you've tried to talk, about the things of God, but, but it seems that it's just falling on deaf ears. We're called to be deliverers of God's gospel to a lost world filled with people in their natural state who cannot discern the, the things of the Spirit, who are deaf to God and hardened to His Word. And, and, and many Christians in the West over the past couple of hundred years have come up with There's so many strategies and schemes and and, and, and whatnot to try to manufacture people making decisions for Christ. You can see this with Charles Finney in the 1800s. You see it today with seeker-sensitive methods and, and strategies and all sorts of evangelistic tactics that are more and more popularized. And texts like this ought to remind us this morning that you can't manufacture someone turning to Christ in repentance. Only God can open the ears of the deaf and the eyes of the blind so while we must be faithful in, in propagating the truth of the gospel, we ought to tell others about what Christ has come to do and be for us, but then what's more so I would exhort you to pray for him to open ears and soften hearts. We don't, we don't pressure people or manipulate people or try to manufacture conversions that won't achieve a thing, except to either turn people off or to turn them into hypocrites. Instead, we must simply communicate the gospel, pray for Christ to open ears, and be patient. I remember 14 years ago when my ears were opened. I was radically rebellious against God. I believed and knew that He existed, but I didn't care. I loved my sin. I was preoccupied with promiscuity and anger and violence and greed and theft. I was blind to the beauty and goodness of Jesus. I was deaf to the the warnings and admonitions and invitations of my family and those around me who loved Jesus and who wanted me to know Jesus. I had a heart of stone that didn't understand, that didn't seek God, that wanted nothing to do with him. And then all of a sudden, summer of 2008, it was like light shone into a pitch black room. And a friend and I, we were, we were working together. We spent hours and hours in, in a work truck together driving all around southern Ohio. And in this truck, we talked about Christ and his gospel in the church. And he bought me a Bible. And of all things to do with it, I started reading it. Started listening to sermons at At church and they affected me. I started going to a small group meeting with some friends and we prayed and read the Bible together and I started feeling conviction over my sin and I stopped doing the things I was previously doing and saying the same things that I was previously saying and feeling the things I was previously feeling and desiring. And people began to take notice. I started to notice something was different. So several people on several occasions would ask me, what has happened to you? You are changing. You are changed. You're different. I didn't really have much language. I wasn't familiar with the Bible. I was new to the Christian faith. But here's what I started saying as a sort of typical response. I started saying, I don't know. I just know that before I felt, I feel like I was deaf to God, but that he's opened my ears to finally hear him for the first time in my life. Well, that happened That effectual call happened in the context of a community that was praying for me. I'd go to the church building where my dad was a pastor and my family, there were members, and and I'd see my name on prayer lists around this time. And, and, And God began to hear their prayers. He had heard their prayers to open my ears to the truth of his word. Are there people that you want to see turn to Christ in faith? I I certainly hope there is. But do you pray for them? Are you crying out to God to open their ears to the truth of his gospel? Only he can make the deaf hear. Only he can make the blind see. And so be like this this crowd here. We don't even know who these people are exactly. It's just they. They're called they and they're called the crowd. And they're just, they bring this deaf man to Jesus. Be people who bring individuals to Jesus in prayer and cry out to him and beg him. Lay your hands on them. Make them hear. Cry out to God for your children, your parents, your siblings, your, your spouse, your coworkers, your neighbors, implore Jesus like this crowd does here to make them hear. And if you're someone who hears, if you have ears to hear, I hope you know I I was I was thanking God for you this last week. Some of you guys come in here week in and week out on Sunday mornings. And many of you are fielding enormously difficult things in your life. And yet week in and week out, you come to hear the word of God. You come to hear the truth of his gospel once again. You come to be fed by the words of the Lord Jesus. Do you realize how amazing that is? That that, you are a miracle. God has done something miraculous in your life. You hunger for his word, that you want to know what he says, that you can hear him and understand. That that isn't lost on me. That's not been lost on me this last week as I was thanking God for you. I hope that's not lost on you this morning. Praise God for his ear-opening work in your life. Praise him for it. Seriously, praise him for it. That's an important piece of application here, is that this is cause for praise. There's no no room for pride in the Christian life. This is cause for praise. If you're someone who has truly heard and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're someone who treasures the word of God, that's not because you're more wise or more godly or more virtuous than any other individual apart from the grace of Christ. You're not. We're not. We're not better than anybody. In our natural state, just like anybody else, we were deaf and dead to the things of God. But praise Christ, he he has come to us and said, Ephatha, and our ears and hearts were opened and our tongues were loosed, all so that we might see him and know him and love him and praise him. The only thing we brought to that equation was our deafness. He brings the healing. And so we have no room for pride. We have only cause for praise. I love how St. Augustine grabs hold of this imagery of God breaking through our deafness. He He writes of his own conversion and his confessions, praising God for it. And listen to what he says. He says, I took too long to fall in love with you. Beauty so ancient and so new. I took too long to fall in love with you. There you were inside and I was outside. You were with me, but I wasn't with you. But you called and shouted and shattered my deafness. You flashed, you shone, And you put my blindness to flight. You effectually called me so that I might hear you and see you and be ravished by you and praise you and adore you with a joy-filled heart. Beauty so ancient, so new. His call is cause for praise. And so we ought to give ourselves to praising Christ just like this group here. He makes all things well. He even makes us the deaf here. Friends, that is the most amazing thing. Ask now of the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Let's pray. Father, seal this word upon our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that understand and believe. And we go from here, clinging to what we've heard, being a means of communicating it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.